Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, Tim Storm, Bushwhacker Luke, Bobby Fulton. The Pro, Pro Wrestling Vault, Volume 1. One. Bill Dundee, Super Mix Hernandez, C.W. Anderson, Ricky Morton, Sir Moe, and many others share their stories of determination, triumph, and, and sorrow. sorrow. Get your book today at Russellville.com or at Amazon.com. Russellville, Wrestling This is a four-time NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion, Luscious Rocky Reynolds, and you are listening to the WrestleVille Podcast. You're listening to the WrestleVille Podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Berry, and today's guest is Rocky Reynolds, four-time NWA Junior Heavyweight Champion. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, hey, I definitely uh, appreciate you asking me to come on the show thank and thank you it's been a little while since you you've wrestled you're a little removed from the the sport tell us a little bit about your career well uh, actually um you know just like most kids that get into professional wrestling it's just something when you're a little kid and you're watching those super like heroes real life super like heroes on television you want to grow up to be just like them and of course the era that i grew up watching was probably the mid to late 80s into the early 90s the perfect time the best time uh, professor wrestling the monday night wars i was a teenager when those started up but you know of course i also grew up a little bit before that with uh the ultimate warrior demolition legion of doom all those guys so the real cart cartoon like characters you know so you know just like so many other people that get into this business um i was obsessed i had a dream and i wanted to take a shot at it and i gave everything i had and went at went after it you know, I was doing some research and I came across your name and I saw that you had won the NWA junior heavyweight title on four different occasions. And I was kind of surprised that I didn't know who you were. But at that time when you were wrestling, I was uh, just getting out of college. I was moving around uh, the state a little bit and I was, you know, getting involved in my career. So my focus was a little different. It was in a different direction. But coming back, I thought, wow, you know, I, I discovered some matches of you. I found out that you had a book. I was very interested in knowing more about your story. I got the book. I read the book. It's called Luscious. If anybody is out there, I'm telling you, this is one of the, the better wrestling books that I've read in, in quite some time. Well, thank you, Vinny. I greatly uh, appreciate that. You know, when I actually wrote that book, I won't go too much into it right now, but my goal was I'm obsessed with wrestlers' autobiographies, and I especially like the ones that are not WWE polished uh, because you, you just know that the good stories are, are probably um, cleaned up so that, you know, WWE doesn't want to let certain things out. But I love if on the rare occasion I can find an indie worker's book, those are usually the absolute best. So when I sat down and actually write it, I wanted to make sure it wasn't, because um, I've read some that are actually put together pretty bad. Uh, so I wanted to look and read smooth, easy, and professional. So I spent months, six, six months of it, literally just building the timeline back up, doing all my research on dates, companies, titles, all that, making my timeline so I had everything perfectly laid out before I started going back and actually writing my story down. Well, I, I can tell you that you you put a lot of work into it, knowing knowing what goes into doing a book and writing a book. I, I can see the the effort into it. it, it it's 
it's a good story. It's funny. It's humorous. It's very educational. And uh, you documented a lot of history there, too. Oh, yes. Yeah, I did. And that was the coolest part. Because, you know, in our business, we are, you know, I remember uh, it's heavily taught to us not to be a mark. You know, um, what I mean by that is there's a level of professionalism that we that you are to always show and respect. Those are two different things, but there's a level level of professionalism in the locker room that, you know, you don't mark out for a guy. Like if you see a guy who was a big guy on television that you don't, it's kind of unprofessional to go up to him and say, oh my God, I've absolutely loved watching you. I watch you all, all the time. It's just, uh, you, you do not do that in our business in that, but I will definitely end up letting you know that Mark has been inside me since I was a little kid and, and, is, and, and it's still there now. And there was so, so many times I would share a locker room or the ring with a guy that I grew up watching on television. And that little kid inside me wanted to jump out so, so bad. But, you know, um, you know, but of course, out of professionalism, you just walked up, introduced yourself, shook their hand and let them know that it was an honor to meet them. And that's about as far as you ever took it. But there but the whole time I never lost that love. There's that little kid inside me excited you know, um, thinking this is so, so cool. I'm in the ring with Superfly Jimmy Snooker or King Kong Bundy, or if you want to get more modern, AJ Styles, you know. Um, yeah. So the fact that I got to meet some some of these guys is the coolest thing. But for a guy like me that went through the business for 18 years, um, I never let that little kid, that fan, that mark ever leave me. It's always been there and it still is. I just couldn't show it during my career the way I I would as a fan. I totally agree. I, I understand. And, and I'm kind of in the same position, too, as, you know, as when I'm interviewing some of these people, I can't sometimes I mean, I interviewed Harley Race and I I couldn't believe I was interviewing Harley legend. Race. Yes, that's a legend. <laughs> yeah, I could have I could have closed up shop and just uh, shut the Internet down or the website down after that. I mean, after you catch the biggest oh. fish in the ocean. Right. I agree. A hundred percent yes he is a legend <laughs> so talking about your career it was something that you knew you wanted you know at a, a young age i'm going to be a wrestler you know everybody in school wanted to be a fireman or wanted to be a cop or wanted to own a restaurant you wanted to be a professional wrestler and you saw it out and you did it and you were basically self-trained and I, I'd like you to tell the story of, you know, you and your friend on the trampoline in the in the front yard of your house. And then when you guys went to the first show to set up a uh, ring, you were applauded by the boys. Tell us that story. Yes. Well, you are, you know, and well, here's the thing I want to start off by. I never, never once were we ever wanting to be labeled as or ever became backyard wrestlers as soon as people start hearing this and they hear the trampoline talk you know that's when the first thing that comes up oh boy backyard wrestlers well you know um growing up and trying to get into the business backyard wrestling was just starting then and it was becoming a bad name um like i remember 2020 did a piece on it um you know and it, it just looked bad it was untrained kids trying to mimic the Monday night wars and they were getting hurt um, and all that stuff. And Trent and trampolines was the main thing that they were on. But so the situation that we were in, I'll explain why it was completely different than backyard wrestling. We were two kids. We were in high school and college. I was in college and he was in 
high school still, and we were trying to figure out how to break into the business. Well, the Monday Night Wars had, um, you know, had kind of just ended then, and I had always had the goal when I got out of college, where my final year in college, I wanted to go to the WCW power plant. Back then, schools weren't a mainstream thing. You didn't hear of them. The only one that I ever heard of or saw was commercials during WCW's Monday Nitro for the power plant. So I thought, okay, that's the school. I got to go there. So the whole goal was to um, get through high school in that, start my college education because I wasn't stupid. I know professional wrestling is like any other sport, if not even harder and less odds of making it in the big in the big time as compared to the to the NBA or the NFL because in those organizations there's a whole bunch of teams in professional wrestling at that time WCW had just died and there was only really WWE there was a new up so I know it hadn't even started yet but TNA was to be coming soon but still I mean at that time it it was only WWE so uh, with that then when the power plant died down we didn't know where else to go. Um, I still wanted to figure out how to become a professional wrestler. I came home from college one weekend and I was at the local YMCA working out. I'm an avid lifter. Uh, I always say bodybuilding is my number one love. Wrestling is secondary. I've always been obsessed with working out. And just lucky for me, they go hand in hand. Uh, but I was at the Y working out on a weekend and I heard about this kid uh, at my local hometown high school who wanted to be a pro wrestler too. And he was up upstairs in the basketball court at that time working on rescue moves and i thought what so i go upstairs out of the gym to the out of the weight room up to the basketball court when i get up there he's got all these mats pulled out wrestling mats and a i guess you call it like a gymnastic mat uh that they had in case they fell and he was working with another kid and they were doing actual wrestling moves and when i say that um everything you could see on television they they were perfectly mimicking uh, a suplex, a body slam. The course of Stone Cold Stunner was big then. And, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I could watch television. I could kind of figure out how to do these things. But they were really looking like they were crisp, that they knew what they were doing, that they had already been trained. So then I started talking to this kid, and um, he was telling me about how he had, um, how he had started watching videotapes really, really slow, watching matches. So I said, okay, well, the kid he was working with didn't really care about professional wrestling. He was just his friend and watched it with him and was letting him do the moves on him. He had been looking for somebody else with the same passion. So right there and then a friendship marriage for professional wrestling was born. And, uh, you know, from there, me and him went and we started working on the moves. And then every night we would go back to his house or to my house and we would watch wrestling tapes and we would put them in slow motion and watch how they were executing the moves we would hit pause and see how they were cinching up or how they were applying certain moves um you know how they were protecting the guy you know doing the best we could without a instructor there sh showing us and we both did not want to be backyard wrestlers we did not want that label ever so we were trying to work on the moves but we weren't going to create our own little league nothing like that then again we go down to our local ymca we pull out the mats and we would work on them. And lucky for us, the people at our local YMCA weren't big on liability because uh, they probably wouldn't have us in there for too awful long. Um, yeah, but then, so then once we got the moves down, this and that, then that was when fate came. Um, and that would be when 
I went to a WCW Thunder taping. So WCW hadn't gone out yet. No, I had met Tyler. Yeah, the guy's name was Tyler Fosnot, my uh, friend from my hometown of Titusville, Pennsylvania, that was also doing the wrestling moves. I went to a WCW taping up in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, it, it was for one of the Thursday night thunders. And I knew from other wrestling events I had been to at the Erie Civic Center that when the show's done, if you go out back, there's a parking lot. In that parking lot is where the wrestlers will park. So I immediately went there after the show. And I'm standing there and I'm waiting to watch the wrestlers come out. Now there's security guards. They won't let you in the parking lot, but you can stand right there at the entrance to that parking lot and on the road. So I'd be standing there and I would see walk out Arn Anderson, you know, or um, three count. I remember came out I'm trying to know who all was there. Sting um, those, you know, you would see them come out, get in their cars. And then as they would come driving by, at, you couldn't go in the parking lot, but as soon as they got out of the parking lot, they were free game. And I would watch them and they'd drive about a half a block down and there's a light down there and half of them would catch the light and half of them would make it through the green light. So any of them that got stopped at the red light, I was on full sprint running down there to catch up to the car just to get a glimpse of them. Well, as I'm doing this, I'm the only one doing it. There's probably about a couple dozen of us out there, but I'm the only one doing this running back and forth. There was another guy that I hadn't met yet, but I was about to get into wrestling here with. His name was Tim Chismar. He seen me running back and forth. And he came up to me and said, hey, listen, um, you know, I see you going back and forth. Have you ever thought about being a professional wrestler? I say, you know, that's, that's actually kind of funny because I have a buddy back home. We've been working for the last few months on wrestling moves. Oh, and I didn't mention that before this, me and Tyler, we kind of did get put out of the YMCA. So we went and bought a tramp. That's the only reason we had a trampoline. We went and bought one because we had nowhere else left to work on moves. So that caused us to go buy one. I mean, we bought it in the middle of winter. It was freezing out. And me and him for a couple hours were in my parents' driveway, freezing, building this thing, putting it together. So now we had upgrade from mats to a trampoline. And now I'm at this WCW show, and I run into this guy named Tim Chismar. Asked me if I'd ever thought about being a wrestler. Well, I thought, well, does this guy know anybody and uh, i said yeah sure he said well i got a few friends that want to be pro wrestlers too we get together in lionsville um and we work on wrestling moves i said oh hey cool so we exchanged information i went back home i told tyler about this guy so me and tyler got a hold of him we drove up to his place to work on wrestling moves we walk into his apartment he lived in an apartment with his mother at that time and what we didn't know is he had a mattress he just took his mattress off his bed to work on moves so me and tyler just kind of stood there and looked at that wait a minute okay we've worked on mats we worked on tramp tramp trampolines but we're really going downhill if we start working on a bed mattress so we said tim listen why don't we go back to tyson it's about a 45 minute drive so we have a trampoline there we can work on moves there so it became a thing where you know every few days every week tim and a few other guys would come down to tyson we'd work on moves on the trampoline well the guys that tim kept bringing were kind of just duds and i don't mean to sound mean but yeah you know, they just weren't in shape they weren't athletic they were literally just wrestling fans who never played sports they just liked wrestling so you could tell they weren't going to take it serious me and tyler were trying to take a serious path the best we could and tim is telling us that he had just met this or he had recently met a nwa promoter he had gone to some local 
event wherein where an NWA branch had come and put on a show. And Tim stayed after the show and helped tear down the ring uh, and was talking to the pro motor and got the promoter's information and had talked to him about maybe in the future putting on a professor wrestling show well this was like dream news to me and tyler so, you know we thought well hey we want to put on a show in our own town all right so at this point then tyler and i had tim get a hold of the nwa pro motor um and let him know that we were interested on wanting to talk about putting on a show well then uh tim got back to us and said that um he has invited us down to Pensboro, West Virginia, where he's going to make us the VIPs um, at his show. That he that we're going to get front row seating, we're going to get the treatment, and then after the show, he wanted to talk about putting on a professional wrestling show. So this was huge news to us, you know. So then at this point, um, we're all excited to go on this trip. So the day of the trip comes, we get in uh, Tyler's car, the three of us, we head down there. It's like a four and a half hour drive to Pensboro. West Virginia. And I'll tell you, the whole way down, we are just uh, dreaming and fantasizing about how big this show is going to be, how light or how how superstar like that these wrestlers are going to be, you know, just just curious about how big the glitz and and glamour of the show is going to be going live. I had never been to an indie professional wrestling show myself yet. I never had. So we're going down there. I remember we find the building gps was not a thing back then so you had to find directions and we got of course lost in this little one traffic light kind of town named pensboro actually i don't even know if he even had one but we finally come down a dirt road this and that and we find a old high school gym but the thing is it's not connected to a school it's its own separate building and as we pull up to it it looked condemned like it hadn't like this hadn't seen a gym class or a basketball game in like a decade. So I remember we go, you know, we get there and the, and the door is actually open. So we, I go walking in and there is the wrestling ring set up in the center of this court. And that was the cool thing. Now here I am finally seeing up close my very first professional wrestling ring. So it's a cool thing to me. So then I'm going around and there's these guys putting the ring up. And we go over to this one guy working on the ring and Tim knew him, knew him as the referee from the night he was at the show. And this guy's name was Tony Wolf, uh, who later be- has become one of my good, good friends in the business of that. Tony is a different character. I will tell you, he's like a six foot two referee, which, you know, referees I've learned throughout the business shouldn't be tall because it, it can sometimes overtower the wrestlers. But. So we're in there. He's putting up the ring. He's talking to us, telling his, us his old war stories and stuff. When we're talking to him, he says, yeah, I used to be a professor wrestler. And we said, "And we said, oh, yeah? What, what was your name? He said, I was the Black Ninja. And we just kind of looked at him and said, oh, you don't know who? You've never heard, never heard of me? I said, no. Sorry, man. He goes, and I said, do you still wrestle? And he said, no. He said he had a career-ending injury. I said, oh, God. Well, what? Happened then. I mean, I didn't know if this guy, you know, end up breaking his femur. What what this guy do? He, with a serious face, and he's being 100% serious, told us he went over the top rope and dislocated his big toe. Now, I was completely, um, you know, seeing how professional wrestling is, watching it growing up and studying it, you see guys that, like, Triple H at that point had already torn his quad and continue, what, like another 15 minutes and, 
into a match and did the walls of Jericho on the announcer's table. You know, you see guys, you know, that well, we just saw Cody Rhodes. Look at him. Completely tore the peck, um, his peck muscle right off the bone. And he still wrestled a match. But I, I guess I just didn't understand the severity of a dislocated big toe. But that seemed to put Tony Wolf's career as the black ninja to rest. But uh, so then from that point, um, the promoter then came out of the back and we started talking with him and he was a real nice guy, different character for sure. But this was my first taste of indie wrestling and the understanding that professional wrestling derives from the carnival because the promoter was, like I said, he's a friend of mine that, but being honest, the character and talking with him, he was the greatest used car salesman i had ever met he was a carny a used car salesman kind of character and he would sell everything well we talk you know real, real brief and i asked when the rest of the wrestlers were or, or when the wrestlers were going to show up he said oh they're all ready here and he started pointing to the guy setting up the ring now this really blew my mind because i was expecting like you know these chiseled monsters no these were the pot-bellied unathletic um, you know, they don't get, don't get me wrong. They still work hard in the ring, but they just didn't give that athletic larger than life look at all, which I've learned over the years in the indie wrestling. You catch that a lot. We go on that night and we realize the building's not that big. So it's not going to be that big of a crowd. I asked the promoter, I, I personally had never been in a professional wrestling. I said, Hey, we've been working on some stuff. Can I get in the ring and just kind of test it? Um, and then he asked me if I'd ever taken a bump and I, and I said, no. And he told me to get in the ring and take a bump. And I said, okay. So I got in, hit off the ropes. I took a quick bump and they, and I smacked the back of my head. I was seeing stars and they all were laughing. And the promoter said, Hey, did you just hit the back of your head? And I said, yeah. He said, well, lesson number one, tuck your chin to your chest. That's something I quickly learned. In a, in a wrestling ring, people think it's like a trampoline or a mattress. It is nothing of the sort, not at all. We've been working on mats and trampolines that had spring and bounce and a soft, and a soft landing. A wrestling ring is usually made out of wood or steel beams with ply with sheets of plywood laid on top, a very thin layer of matting and a canvas. So it's pretty much like hitting a deck with a little give to it. And I quickly learned on that day that if I don't tuck my chin to my chest as I hit off that ring, taking a flat back bump, you will, your head will smack off the back of the ring and knock you silly, which is exactly what happened to me right then. So this guy that I just looked at as being a carny, a used car salesman, and all these wrestlers I thought that were out of shape and you know didn't look like much, they just humbled me. They taught me, hey, kid, you got a lot to learn. And I did. Oh, did I ever. Because I, I only knew what me and Tyler had taught ourselves off television and on mats. So that was a quick wake up. Well, then we let the promoter know that me and Tyler had been working on some stuff and wanted to know if we could go through some of it in the ring. He said, yeah, sure. So me and Tyler got in there. Now, if anyone has ever, and it doesn't have to be wrestling, but if you do something that's serious to you and you're focused on it, you will go into tunnel vision where you see nothing but the thing you're focused on. Um, and that's exactly what happened here. Me and Tyler, we went through an entire match. We were locking up. We were doing hip toss, suplexes, body slams, running off the ropes, you know, this and that. Uh, and after we were done, when my tunnel vision broke, I realized that now there was even more people 
uh, around the ring because there were wrestlers in the back that I hadn't seen yet. But the entire ring was surrounded by all the wrestlers from that night and the NWA pro motor. And what was the coolest thing is that he came in the ring right then and there and gave Tyler and I our our very first three dates to come wrestle next month. I think that, that was in May, I think. I have to go back and look at the timeline. I'm not sure that was back in May. Um, was that that be Memorial Day, I believe? Uh, it was a holiday weekend, and we did three shows straight. But um, that blew that completely blew our mind. Here we are, just kids that taught ourselves a couple things. Um, come down, we I couldn't even take a bump right, and we put ourselves through a match, and we impressed them instantly that they were willing to put us on the next set of shows that they had coming up in a month. So then we have the show that night, or they have the show that night. In this little po, uh, podunk town, maybe they drew a little more than a dozen, maybe. Um, I remember they had a steel cage match for the main event, a hardcore steel cage match. But our front row VIP seats were just a bunch of chairs set up in front of the stage, right in front of the sound system so the pa is right in our ears blasting you know um and we're you know we're pretty close to the ring that was pretty cool but it it was of course anything but vip but in the world of professional wrestling looking back after 18 years that was vip for the indie scene and stuff like that but when the show was done we stayed we were respectful we were pro and we were ever so grateful too that they took the time even though it was not at all what we expected a lot lower than what we were expected we understood hey this is professional wrestling. This is where this is where it all starts. This is where you start working from. They're willing to give us a chance. We're we are grateful to have that chance, and we took it. And that night, we helped tear we helped tear down the ring. We talked to the promoter a little bit more, and I was working a part time job. It was, well, I was actually working full time hours though at our local little Caesars, just making pizza and delivering pizza. I lived with my parents, so I didn't really have bills. So all money I made on my paychecks, I was putting it in the bank. I was living off my tips. So, um, and I've never been wanting to go out and party and drink. This has never been my scene. So I didn't blow, I've never really blown my money ever in my entire life. So uh, that night I went up to the promoter because I was serious about wanting to get in this business. I said, listen, would you be willing to sell that ring there? He stopped and was kind of taken back by that. Thought about it and said, yes. He would. So he sold the ring to me right then and there for $2,500. He asked me to let him have it for a couple more months to finish up some dates until he could get a new ring in. And I said, okay. And then uh, like a month or two later, we went down and picked up the ring, brought it back, and we started working in that rather than on a trampoline. You're learning as you go. You're getting polished up by the guys. But when do you think in your career that it, there's like a, like a turning point, like, hey, Things are smoothing out for me because from what I read in the book, your progression came pretty fast. Yes. Well, you know, um, well, the one thing that I was always big about in professional wrestling is in, in today's wrestling now, you see it's a lot of skill. But in my mind, in my mind, that, that skills more acrobatic choreograph compared to what it was back when I was in it. Nobody really does a walk and talk anymore. Now, I did a lot of matches where I did all I did all kinds where we just planned just the finish out and we walked and talked out in the ring where you know you didn't plan nothing out other than the finish and you called it all in the ring. Or I worked with certain guys that just wanted to plan the start, the finish, and a couple spots. And then there were other guys, AJ Styles being one, 
who wanted to plan out every little step, every counter, every reversal, everything. So it was a complete dance. I've always noticed about professional wrestling and I made sure I took it serious. I always loved characters. Characters entertained me. Um, there's a major difference between wrestling now because characters aren't nearly as strong as they were back in the late 80s, early 90s. You don't have the ultimate warriors, like I just said. Now, I always thought character caught the attention more than the wrestling. And I'll use examples I always do. Ultimate Warrior, nobody in the business will disagree with this, was a crappy wrestler. He sucked when it came down to wrestling. But the character, everyone remembers the character. It was captivating. It was amazing. And that's why the guy was pushed on the biggest show to win the biggest title against the biggest star at that time. He couldn't wrestle worth a lick, but his character was incredible. Now you take outstanding wrestlers. Dean Malenko's, who I always used. Dean is incredible to watch and to study for his tech, his tech, technical wrestling. But he, at times he was so boring to watch as a character because he had no charisma. No, uh, he was very charismatic. Um, not quite as bad, but Bret Hart was kind of that way. The older I've gotten, I've really learned to appreciate Bret, um, Bret Hart because he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, technical wrestlers ever. But his character was kind of just so-so. So my point being, um, I went in there wanting to have a character. I knew to play the crowd. The worst thing any guy could do in trying to get noticed is to go out there and wrestle a match. Try to remember all his moves and just focus on the match and never engage with the crowd. The engagement with, with the crowd is everything. If you do not emotionally involve the crowd in what you are doing, you are never going to captivate them. They are never going to get fully involved in to your match now you might get a you might get a cheer possibly if you hit one or two big big moves but if ricky morton is an awesome example to use ricky can take you on a roller coaster ride he won't do any big major moves but he'll win the match with a small package and the crowd will erupt because he kept in contact with them the entire time. He captured their emotions the entire match, made them feel sorry for him because he's the greatest seller ever, you know, and he engaged the entire thing. That's what's wrong with wrestling today. You are, they are not engaging with the fans. Um, and I don't mean to sound like the old guy now, but I am the old guy now, um, you know, and I see that now. I was told of this, or there were lots of things of vets when I was in the business were always preaching to me that I kind of rolled my eyes about thinking that's, that's your old style, blah, blah, blah. No, I am the old guy now and I get it. Those guys were right. And I can go back and look at how wrestling is now. So I heard recently, statistically, only one-tenth of the audience watches wrestling now that watched it back during the Monday Night Wars. Think about that. One-tenth. 90% of the audience from the Monday Night Wars has left watching wrestling. Uh, you know, so my whole point, you asked, uh, you know, what did I think made me stand out? I was huge. My character never shut up. I engaged the crowd the entire time. I never forgot that they were there. Uh, from the moment I came out to whenever I either just got thrown across the ring or I, or I was on top of the face and making fun of them and laughing at the crowd, whatever, whether I was on top, I was underneath, I won, I lost, the match was finished, the match was just starting, I engaged. That's everything. What did it mean for you to hold the NWA junior heavyweight title? I mean, 
had to be something special. And at that time, the NWA was a little, little different from maybe 10 years prior to that, from when Ric Flair held the belt, um, you know, and he held the, the heavyweight belt. And we're talking about the junior belt. But what, if you think about the times, the NWA was different from, say, the Ric Flair era, right? Absolutely so, yes. Oh, yeah, you know, there's no doubt about when I got into the business and I started wrestling for the NWA, the NWA was not what it was uh, back in its heyday, obviously, of the 1980s. Now, even though it had kind of lost a bit of its prestige from back then, there were still so many legends that were still part of the NWA. Now, they weren't televised much anymore. It had pretty much broken back down completely to the territory system in that. Um, but there were so many NWA shows that I would work on where I was working with different names, different legends. And the NWA World Heavyweight title was being um, exchanged back and forth from um, several NWA legends that I grew up watching at that time, too. Uh, and then also newer, younger faces in that, too. We're talking from like Dan the Beast, Severin, to Steve Carino, to Jeff Jarrett, those are the first ones that pop off the top of my head when I was out there um, wrestling for the NWA. Uh, but what it was for me to hold that that title, yeah, the NWA had lost its prestige a bit. It most certainly had. But I look back and I thought, my God, this is the company and this is one of the world titles that I would see on television. You know, um, that was a cool saying. To be able to go and look at the record books and know that I was holding one of the world titles of a company that I grew up watching, that I had seen, like one of my greatest, fondest memories of NWA, one of the things that, one of the things that caught my eye was the heated feud between Flair and Steamboat. I had just got into being a wrestling fan at that time, and their back and forth feud was blowing my mind. And then... Oh my God, I cannot forget how emotionally invested I was when Flair won the belt for that final time. And that was when he was being interviewed after the match and Terry Funk wanted to congratulate him. And Terry just wanted to take a shot to get a, to see if he could get a shot at that title too. And when Flair told him he had to work his way up the ladder, this Terry Funk guy went crazy. And I will never forget him repeatedly pile-driving Ric Flair on a table after. I mean, that was the most crazy thing i had seen and i was already captivated with professor wrestling at that time but that that really grabbed me so when we talk about the different world titles and i got to hold one of them for four different times and i'm proud of this too i got to wrestle for every end of a world title that there was the only one i ever held was the junior heavyweight title though um i wrestled for the world heavyweight title twice wrestled for the and, and uh for the end of a world tag team titles I think just once I got to tag up with AJ Styles. We took on America's most wanted. So to get to hold a, a title from a company that captivated me and made me a fan, it was an honor. Oh, I bet it was very exciting to, to hold that title. And, and you can, you can find that out in, in your book, luscious, you, you talk about it and you talk about the four times that you held it and what it meant to you. What would you say to the fans who haven't read your book, luscious? To anyone who hasn't read the book and is a avid uh, person who enjoys wrestling autobiographies, um, that's what made me write and write my book. In that, I I am one of those people that love reading autobiographies. I'm actually reading Just Incredibles 
right now. Uh, and I and I had just finished uh, Can Candidos right before that, before that book. But the one thing about me, I have learned. I not I read them, but I'm not a very big fan of WWE published books because they're polished. What I mean by that is I like hearing the truth. And when I say truth, I like, I just like honesty. I like hearing the real experiences, what people really felt, what it was really like. And WWE, you just know, you know that they are polishing it. If it, if something is in a guy's book that makes the WWE look maybe bad, they're going to say, hey, maybe we had to take that part out. Or they might change this A story a bit to make it sound better. And I'm not saying I know that for sure, but I just got that feeling. So I actually really enjoy reading books that are not WWE polished. And if I can find an indie wrestler's book, a guy that didn't quite ever make it to the mainstream, those are the ones I have found are, those are the best ones. Um, there was the first one that got, that got me obsessed with indie wrestler's books was called The Somebody Obsession. I forget the name of the wrestler that wrote that book, but that's the one that caught my attention and made me feel, hey, I've got a, a story to write about and I have a lot of honesty uh, and that. And so when you read my book, that's what I'm trying to express here that I am going to tell you exactly what it is like being a kid with a dream. Um, not just all the, Hey, I did this. I did that. No, no, it's not about all my accomplishments. That's in there too, of course, but also the struggles, the back stabbing, um, the, uh, you know, I've learned with our business, I love it, but behind that curtain, and I say this over and over, it is one of the biggest backstabbing, dark, ego-driven, um, carny-like shows. Uh, it's a whole other world behind that curtain. And what I mean by that is, and I've said this over and over, that um, to a point, and not, not all locker rooms, but you will find at times it is the darkest, scummiest, dirtiest, drug drug ridden at times carny like atmosphere uh guys will stab each other in the back to get ahead a promoter will lie to you or end up cheating you out of money just because they're trying to make as much as they can and they think they can get away with it i mean not all locker rooms are like that i don't want to give that impression but there are times behind that curtain it, it isn't what the fans think that it is so my point is those kind of experiences, when I would deal with them, I put them down there in the book. I talk about what it's actually like, the things that I've seen, the things that I heard, the ups and downs. And um, of course, you know, there's a crux to my book. Um, you know, it, it's a very big tragedy that nearly took, nearly took my life at the end of the book that I talk on. And that's what the whole book leads up to. But that's the price of going after your dream. Um, if you're going to be serious and not just say you're going after your dream and do it half-ass, if you seriously go after it and in this business, you've got to be willing to take risks. And especially in today's world, which I'm a big Jim Cornette fan and he, Jim's right. When I hear in his podcast, he always says, how much further are these guys going to push the envelope till people start getting seriously hurt on a regular basis. But back then, the, the, the one of the craziest things when I was in the business getting in to see was Jeff Hardy did that. I don't know, was it a 20-foot ladder dive at the WrestleMania? Um, you know, guys were starting to really push the envelope back then. And I had to do the same thing, uh, trying to get myself noticed, or so I felt. And I nearly took my life because of it. So uh, why would you want to read my book? Honesty. Um, I had a lot of experiences, good and bad. 
it was an awesome ride. I regret not one bit of it, even the tragedy, because boy, did that ever teach me a lot. But um, I'll tell you, it's comp- you, if you want to know what the real world's like in the business, that's it. And where can people get your book, Rocky? I wrote the book back in 2014. Um, I know that it's available on Amazon.com, or if you would like a autograph version of the book, and of course at no extra charge, I'm no mainstream superstar, uh, you can just uh, hunt me down on Facebook. My real name is Aaron Madden, name of, uh, and then uh, just look for Aaron Madden, Titusville, Pennsylvania. Send a DM to me, and I'll be more than happy to get an autograph copy to you. All right. Well, that's that's good. Hey, man, I really appreciate you taking the time. I want to bring you back. I want you to tell me uh, we're going to in our next episode, we're going to talk about the tragedy a little bit more. And we're going to talk about some of the things that that led up to the decision of you uh, walking away from professional wrestling. And uh, we're going to do that on the next episode. Well, hey, thank you for having me. Vinny. I seriously always have a good, good time sitting down talking wrestling you're listening to the Russellville podcast where wrestling lives have you ever wondered what happened to lance von eric find out in his book lance by chance wrestling as a von eric you'll read stories about chris adams rick flair and billy jack haynes and of course the von eric family themselves get your book today on amazon